I am sure that you have heard the phrase, there's a party in my mouth and everyone is invited. Well, I will tell you, a week or two ago, that couldn't be my sent. that couldn't have more adequately described my sentiment and my feeling after my first dinner in the dark experience. Imagine a five course meal where you're sitting with people that you've never met and which you're trying food and eating food that you have no idea what it is. And I have to tell you, it was a delightful amount of fun. Who could come up with such a brilliantly crazy idea? Well, to no one's surprise, it is Chef David Burke, one of the world, and that's not an exaggeration, one of the world's most accomplished chefs, a culinary pioneer, a celebrated chef many times over, an author, a restaurateur, a philanthropist, and a bunch of other things, and the father, at least in my world, of dining in the dark. Chef David Burke, welcome back to the program. (laughs) Thank you, Frank. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. All right. So I want to ask you about Dining in the Dark because it was one of the most creative and and exciting and interesting things that I've ever been a part of. But I want uh, folks to get a little bit of an idea of your background if they haven't heard our conversations before, if they're not up on who you are. Of all the careers available to you, what made you want to become a chef? How'd you pick this? Um, That's a great question. I I didn't think there was that many careers available when I was 16. You know, I decided I was washing dishes in a restaurant. Uh, and I found the kitchen to be exciting and, uh, and the creativity to be amazing and the food, uh, the food world, which I come from a, not a food family, um, to be exciting and, uh, and, uh, and the possibilities were endless. Uh, again, this is in the late seventies and where cooking was not looked upon as a great career choice. So when I decided I want to be, go to Colonial Institute of America, uh, in 1980, people were shocked. You know, I was a, I was a good student. I was I had good good grades. I was, uh, you know, I was a good high school kid. And uh, why throw all that away to become a to cook food for people? That, well, that's exactly the question my parents had, and a lot of people in my neighborhood and people people kind of laughed at it. You know, like call me Burger Boy, and you know, what are you gonna do? You know, you gotta cook. You know, it was crazy. But you know, I I saw a nugget in there, and this is way before the Food Network and chefs with their names on buildings and and this and that. And uh, it was, a, you know, to me, it was to be the quarterback of my kitchen and to be in, to be like the guy that I worked under because I thought he had it good. You know, he had a he had a couple good cars. He had looked like a good job. He was his own boss. He didn't have to uh, commute into a a city and follow the rules the way others did, I guess. You know, who knows what was going on at the teenage set? You know what I mean? Uh, that, um, but, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, but you also didn't have uh, the the bar was low because I didn't want to be Emerald. I didn't want to be someone else. Uh, they didn't exist. There was no mentor out there that was, uh, there was no, you know, uh, point of uh, trying to be like somebody else. It was like, let me just do what I can do. And, and you know, you're talking about uh, a culinary revolution from the 80s till now uh, on, on job change and finesse and creativity and uh, and uh, acceptance of different types of, you know, dining has changed. You know, we went to a fine dining point. Uh, we went to fancy food, to more casual. Now, now people know what the word omakase is. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> now we're, And now we're... You, now we're eating blindfold. 
That, that That's for sure. Uh, some of us are anyway. Hey, uh, I know you've started and run restaurants all over the world, New York, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., yeah. even the Middle East and uh, places that I, I can't even find on a map. Yeah. There was a lot of concern about the restaurant business during COVID, and a lot of people were saying that it was never going to bounce back to the level that it was pre-COVID. People's dining habits have changed, and you're never going to see that kind of thing again. What about it? How have those predictions uh, come to fruition? Is the restaurant business back in full force as it was pre-COVID? Um, I think in certain cases, yes. Um, I know that I, I remember that people being quoted to say the restaurant business would be the same. And it was, it, it's a negative, scary statement. Uh, there, We have some restaurants that are breaking records, and we have some restaurants that are uh, not. You know, uh, I said, you know, again, COVID's over, but the economy's terrible. Uh, you know, you don't hear about it every day on the news. You hear about it sometimes. So depending, and the weather's not as good this summer, depending on and the competition is stiff. Um, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, people are eating out again a lot. Uh, they might not be buying the super expensive wines, maybe the expense account business. In New York City, it's not lunch. Mm. Certainly, is dried up. People don't drink at lunch. They don't go out to lunch because people aren't working in their offices full time. The lunch business in the cities is dried up a little bit. Lunch business in general is dried up because of the amount of deliveries you can get to your house. The fact that you can still do work on your phone. You don't need to go out and socialize as much. You socialize on your phone. Uh, you don't need to take your girlfriend or your friend or your coworker out to lunch. Uh, dinner is more entertainment and more uh, more happening. There's also a ton of single single people out there that are eating out at dating apps and all this other stuff. So there's, you know, one day one flame goes out, another fire starts. You is, know, so uh, the restaurant business is here to stay. Is it easier to run a restaurant now than 20 years ago? Tougher or exactly the same? It's definitely harder. Um, now, years ago, uh, when I started, the making the customer happy was the priority. Right, showing off, angling, competing. Uh, now, now you got to make the employees happy. Right, it's harder to get. You know, now we have to pay an employee more money per hour, and we don't get the same level of talent for that amount of money we're paying per hour. So, our, and our bottom line shrinks. You know, the margins in a restaurant business are, slow, are low. Now, COVID helped reduce some rents, especially in New York City, because we went to percentage rents as opposed to a straight-up leases. Um, uh, but, you know, with the people coming out of schools and people that think the restaurant business is cool and want to be uh, on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and you know, the well, one, one, one chef's, one restaurant chef is another one's dishwasher. So there's an interesting thing about the restaurant business of being a chef. If I get my hair cut, if I get my lawn cut, and I get my eyes checked, every every one of those people has to have a license, and a chef doesn't. Wow. Yeah, it's a great right? point. Think about it. It's you a know, great... they don't have to be <laughs> the ones that can poison you. <laughs> it's, it's a very good point. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, 
provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. And, you know, you alluded to people being more on their phones these days, which I look into a restaurant, uh, even a nice restaurant, and it just drives me crazy. It's everywhere. People are on their phones. And then once one person at a table pulls their phone out, everybody thinks that's licensed for everybody to pull their phone out. And it's a very frustrating thing to watch, whether I'm at the table or just passing by. You had told me that that was one of the inspirations for dining in the dark. Tell yeah. me more about that. What, how did you come yeah. up with this idea for Dining in the Dark? What inspired well, this? I, I, did, I did Dining in the Dark many years ago in, uh, in Miami. Um, and it didn't, go, it didn't go very far. But then you know, I have a restaurant in Morristown in uh, 1776. And in that town, they have the Seeing Eye, it's called. It's where they train blind people to walk with the dogs. And I see them walking around town, and I started thinking, about the time I did this, I tried this in Miami. And then the New Jersey Wine Association came to me, and they said, Burke, you know, you got a lot of restaurants in Jersey. You know, can can you help us promote New Jersey wines? And I said, the only way to do it is blindfold, right? Because no one's going to, no one's going to, you know, think a Jersey wine is as good as a California mm-hmm. or French wine or Italian mm-hmm. wine. So I said, so we do blind tasting. And we then maybe we do it with food, and maybe we and then I'm thinking about you know what? Let's just do a dinner in the dark, and we did our first one in uh, at the Red Horse and Rumps, and 16 people in the wine cellar, and it was sold out. And uh, the you know you have to get it started right, and we learned a lot in the first one, and uh, the first one obviously <laughs> fire department came because I was burning uh, rosemary and hay and in the wine cellar and the ceiling's low and we set up the fire alarm. <laughs> so not only were people blindfolded, but they heard the fire alarms go off. And then I said, the fire department, everyone was calm and they stayed there with their masks on and the fire department came downstairs with their, uh, uh, the sirens outside and all that. And I was, it was hilarious because I told everyone in the dark, I said, don't mind the firemen, they have no clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> And that, the next one, I invited the fireman that came, and we did two of them in the, uh, for 20, 16 to 20 people. Then we did one at the GOAT for 60 people. Uh, and then the last one you were at was about 50 people at the Red Horse. And now we're, we're doing one on August 9th, I believe, at the GOAT, uh, and another one in Red Horse. And we're, you know, they're getting busier, and we're getting better at what to serve. And again, you, you get used, you know, you enter the room, we put the mask on you. It's a sleeping mask. And we walk you to the chair. You, you're, you're with your friend or whoever you come with, you sit with. And then you're at a table with other people you don't know. And we try to get everyone to introduce themselves. I, you know, I'll tap you on the shoulder. Your drink is put in your right hand, and you get two cocktails before and a couple of snacks, like a tartare on a spoon and a sushi roll. Things that are finger food friendly and are eaten with a spoon or on a kebab stick or, or easily to eat. And uh, and we direct you by saying, at tw- you know, the plate is round like a clock. So at 12 o'clock's the top, 6 o'clock's the bottom, 3 o'clock's on the, the east side, and uh, 9 o'clock the west. And we tell you where things might be and you feel your way around. And then we pour different wines. We pour a Jersey wine. 
and a French wine, maybe, and maybe a California. We don't tell you until after. And we put, you know, some odd ingredients together that you might not eat. And then some luxury ingredients, steak and lobster and lamb. Lamb chop's a great example of something you can pick up the bone. Sure. We tell you the bone's at 3 o'clock or that there's some sea creature that's crispy and fried and feel free to grab it. That could be calamari or shrimp, tuna tartare on a spoon, a risotto or creamy mac and cheese that you just kind of pick up with a spoon, a filet mignon and lobster kebabs together, and the sticks are right there. And we kind of help you. And people find it great. We do an ice cream sundae that has all kinds of different things like jalapeno and licorice and chocolate sauce and, you know, and you start conversing because you can't use your phone. So you're talking. And people start to ask questions. And you can't prejudge people. And like you said, you sat across from a, a woman from Poland. You had no idea what she looked like, right? And, and That's right. My, my friend and I, girls. my friend was asking me, he was trying to whisper to me, do, do I think the girls at our table are hot? That's what he was asking right. me. We didn't I mean, get to find out until the end. <laughs> But, I mean, how fun is that? One girl had a birthday at your table. Exactly. We had a great and, uh, time. It was a great time. And, uh, and then there was other people that came with a group, and they start talking, well, what is that? You know, we'll throw mango into something that's usually, you know, we throw so, a couple of secret ingredients and aromas, and, and I get people to talk. And I, I do a little trivia about food and, you know, kind of fun. And, it's you know, it is people love the laughter and the curiosity and then we make we make sure. uh, mention of the you know the uh, the seeing eye center in Morristown and how difficult it is for people with disabilities mm. and uh, and uh, and how to use your other senses and also how to appreciate the creativity and and uh, when I was uh, talking to, when I was talking about my experience on the radio, one listener who is blind, he's probably listening right now. He yeah. reached out to me. He used to have sight, and he said he actually really misses the visual element of going out to dinner. Normally, when you're not doing a dining in the dark uh, situation, how important is the visual element to you in putting together your whole presentation? Well, you know, listen, it depends on the style of restaurant. Everything should always look fresh and natural, right? And and somewhat sexy to me. I mean, if you put a steak, even a burger and fries on the plate, it still should look good, right? It still should be, you know, the the, the fries got to be crisp. The ketchup's next to it in a nice ramekin. The burger has a skewer in it with a cherry tomato, and it just looks, and it's on the right border plate, right? Then you get into, like, omakase and, and a, a half a dozen oysters or a fish dish with bright, vibrant colors and seasonality and texture and wow factors and, and dessert, like cheesecake pops with cotton candy and the chocolate Brooklyn Bridge and all. I mean, you think about that, it's it's appealing. It's, and well, eye candy. Look at our bacon on the clothesline. Oh, yeah. We have, I worked at the River Cafe in the 80s, and I was a chef. That was dying for attention, and people went to the river cafe to look out the window at the city. <laughs> and we so we we started making Instagrammable food before Instagram, because it was important to me. When you're a chef like myself, and there's two great chefs before you at the river cafe, and we all have the same creme brulee bay recipe, we all got the best creme brulee. How is yours going to be better? It's got to be out styled. Mm. You got to style them, right? You got to do something that's a, you got to have a unique. A unique touch to it, right? Something like that. It's like accessorize it. 
How does a dressmaker make a dress better? By the way, it, how does an automobile maker make it, make his automobile more stylish? If people want to uh, try and go to one of the future dining in the dark events, what should they do? Should they go to their website, your website, or what yeah, should they do? Uh, we have it. You can go to uh, Chef David. Bur- I think it's ChefDavidBurke.com. Right, the Burke Gold Restaurant in Union Beach is the one that's doing it, and the Red Horse and Rumson are the two restaurants that are currently doing it. And we, I'm pretty sure we'll expand to other restaurants. And eventually, the dining in the dark, like I said, you meet people and your phone's down. We will probably do a uh, a blind date one where it's a singles night where you come you have dinner in the dark with 50 people that are somewhat single. And and actually, we you got to be introduced. Hi, I'm Bill. Um, I live in uh, Homedale, New Jersey, and da-da-da. And, and then there'll be a happy hour at the end. Yeah, where that, you stay I, and 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 talk a little later. It's really it's a social it's a social dinner, it's educational, it's fun. And again, your phones are down. Yeah, and no. you know what? That part of it, to be honest with you, I mean, first of all, you, you're relieved to get your mask off when dessert is served, right? right. It's like wow, you get right. to see who you're talking to, and then you you start to talk to people. Then ten minutes later, you know, you're like, oh, the babysitter, or oh, my phone, you know. But you're right about pulling out the phone. Pulling out the phone these days reminds me of the old days of cigarettes. Someone would pull out a cigarette and everyone took a cigarette. Yeah, break. no, no, no. That's a that's a great yeah. observation. Uh, the, uh, a couple other items I want to go over with you. I know it's late and you probably had a long night as it is, but I want to pick yeah. your brain on a few other a few other items. Uh, one, you've been called a culinary prankster. What does that mean? What's a culinary prankster? Um, well, uh, I, someone that, you know, plays around, I guess, and then makes fun of things and tricks people and, uh, and <laughs> laughs about it. I mean, you know, I'll tell you, I did a dish 1996. It was a pork shank. It was a huge, massive, it was like a Fred Flintstone piece of meat on a plate at a restaurant called Maloney Porcelli, right? And I had to fight the owner, Smith Walensky, the founder, Alan Stone, to put it on the menu. That's how much I loved it. And he laughed at me, and so did the other guys on the board of directors opened a new restaurant. We did a taste. And they're like, it's never going to sell. And I'm like, I was so upset that I couldn't put it on the menu. Uh, it's a 96. We put it on a hit. And Stillman goes, why don't you put it on a menu for 45 days? If, it's, if it doesn't sell, Dave, are you okay? But we change, take it off the menu. I'm like, fair enough. Right, it goes down the menu. It's nineteen dollars and ninety-five cents, and and it's nineteen ninety-six, in the middle of Manhattan. It wins the best dish in America, USA Today. <laughs> <laughs> it wins the best dish in America. Next, under number two is like a John Stewart dish and a Thomas Keller dish from Per Se. Number three, and that was a prankster. And I was, it was like I was laughing all the way down the hallway. I love yeah, it. And it was a pork shank with firecracker applesauce and cabbage. And it was pork chop and applesauce mentality, but it was done in a brilliant technique. And uh, and that was taking chances and being able to laugh at something serious like fine dining and putting something like that on it because that's what's delicious and every culture in the world eats just about, you know. So yeah. that was one of the things, you know, making it the chocolate Brooklyn Bridge and selling it for $25 back in the 80s. You know, things that were... 
you know, not following the formality of everything that had to be just the way it was supposed to be. Yeah, no, that is, uh, it is refreshing. You always get the sense that you're having a lot of fun and that uh, the people that are in your restaurants are having a lot of fun. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Chef David Burke. You can learn more about him at uh, chefdavidburke.com. David, let me get you to weigh in on some tips for a beginning. Let's say someone is uh, responsible for dinner once a week, usually his wife cooks the other six days of the week and they're tasked with preparing dinner one day of the week and they don't have necessarily a lot of cooking experience. Give a few, a tip or two to a beginner, stuff that they can't mess up or a methodology that'll help them turn just an average dish into something super special. Yeah, I think you break it down into, into components, okay? Let's take fish, for example. People often ask me, oh, I don't like cooking fish. I always overcook it. I don't know how long to cook it, right? And I always tell them, get a piece of fish that's the size of French toast, like thin filet, like the size of a piece of white bread or a little thicker, right? And cook it in a saute pan as if it is French toast, right? Even if you dip it in egg batter, you know, with lemon and capers, right? Cook it like, you know, brown the egg on the outside, cook it slow, flip it over. That would be a, like a, a front chain style anyway. Put it in this low heat like it's French toast and cook that fish like French toast. And it's the same thing. That's the same amount of time it takes. And then that's the fish. Now, come figure out what you like as a starch. You like rice? Make a rice dish that you like and make a sauce. Now, the sauce can be easy. And sauce, you might have to Google how to make a little, you know, sauce. Or or one of my other tips is go to your door. You know what a door sauce is? Open the door of your refrigerator. You got 12 different bottles of different sauces. Start combining them a little bit. <laughs> Come up with your own, your own stuff. Pickle joys, juice with hoisin sauce, a little ketchup with, uh, with soy sauce. Heat that up and melt in some butter. Start playing around. You can, you know, the door sauce, I call it. Go in there and figure it out. And you can warm up one of those vinaigrettes. Warm up uh, Italian dressing and add a little bit of barbecue sauce to it and mustard. Mustard and soy sauce with a little bit of water, chicken broth, beautiful. You know, sesame oil. And, and start to play around. And just Google something that's simple enough. There's good bases out there for sauces. Or just make an olive oil and vinegar sauce or, let, or citrus juice and squeeze it over that fish. And, and have some fresh veggies. That's how you start. And you learn as you go. How about look? A lot of people. If it ever stops raining in our area, a lot of people are going to back to are going to go back to grilling. They'll have friends yeah. over for barbecues. I got two barbecue invitations for Saturday. How about if someone's just used to grilling hamburgers, hot dogs, maybe some steaks, sausage, yeah. or a shrimp kebab? Any pro tips for how to elevate your grilling game? Well, you need a hot grill, obviously, uh, and. Uh... Like I said, I think the, the the hardest part of grilling is being organized and having accoutrements there, the right dipping sauce, the right fruit salad or watermelon salad. Have that stuff ready. The corn can be pre-cooked, you know, and then when the meat is ready, it's, it's gorgeous. Again, buy a different hamburger bun. Go out and get a nice – put it on a, a – go get a better roll. You know what I mean? Go get something that's more interesting than the standard soft roll. You know, go get some different cheeses, put a couple different toppings on there. Um, you know, or put it, or go, instead of doing burgers, go get a, a piece of steak, you know, a, a slice steak, cook it up, slice it up, and make a, a steak sandwich. 
as opposed to always going for the hamburger. Get a different sausage instead of a hot dog. Shrimp are easy on the grill. Um, and you can also use foil pouches, too. When you, if you want to cook fish on a grill and you're afraid, put the fish in a, in a foil envelope with olive oil and vinegar, salt, pepper, some vegetables, and throw that package right on the grill and let it steam in there. And that fish will, that shrimp and fish will cook beautiful. And you pull the foil out, put the foil on the plate, you open it up, you eat it right out of the envelope. That sounds pretty delicious to me. Do you yeah. Are you of the opinion that everybody can learn to cook or anybody can learn to cook? Or do certain people just have more of a natural aptitude for it than others? Um, I think some people are better at it. I think anyone can learn to cook uh, to a certain degree. I mean, uh, I think some people are more interested in eating, and that makes it more interested in, it makes them more interested in cooking. I think people that, like my mother who had to cook three meals a day for four or five people in the family, that's more of a chore, and it's a drag, and they don't put it – there's not a lot of love that goes into it because it just has to get done, and you got to feed people, not cook for people. You know, uh, so, the, you know, time is uh, – it's like, you know what? I, it's like working out, right? I work a lot. I wish I had time to work out. I wish I had time to exercise. You gotta, there's only so much time to put into – you need time to be able to cook well, and you need passion to cook well, uh, but also curiosity and also confidence, you know, you need, and you need a good kitchen. You need, you know, you need tools and you need, you need sharp knives and you need the tools that make it easier to get things done. Uh, like a zester, you know, when you're cooking in somebody's house and they don't have stuff, yeah, you know, and it's like trying to play a piano with broken keys. You know, it's not going to be right. Uh, let me end with this because you're you're such a trendsetter, and what you've been doing in a lot of your restaurants, other restaurants end up emulating. I'm always curious about what the next food trend is. I remember that uh, that line in Seinfeld, and I remember watching it at the time, and it was very true. When Jerry says to whoever he was with, "Look at sun dried tomatoes. Where were they five years ago?" And it's true. Five years before that, I never had a sun dried tomato, but at that yeah. point in life, sun dried tomatoes were everywhere. Then there was a big pesto boom. Then there was a, a quinoa boom. Then for a while it was fat-free everything. Then it was uh, no-carb everything. If you were then, to predict... Then, then, then kale came out of left field. Right, kale, right, kale. I forgot all about the kale boomlet. <laughs> Holy if, kale. If you, if you were to predict... Kale season. Kale season. <laughs> <laughs> and then cauliflower. So what's the next big trend? What is the next big food trend? What is everybody going to be ordering and talking about five years from now? Um, I, I, I wish I knew, I, it's, you know, they, we have this plant-based thing that pushing down our throat. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I haven't heard about it lately, right? Have you? The impossible burger went away. I don't hear about it advertised anymore. I don't see it much anymore. Um, you know, I know that, uh, you know, there's some benefits to it, but at the end of the day, I don't know, natural food, we like what we like. Uh, I think grains will be back in. I think portion sizes on meat will go down. Traditional portion cuts will be down and supplemented with uh, uh, with grains and vegetables. I think I think that's something that's inevitable, just for cost reasons too. Makes sense, uh, David. We're going to have more, to end more, it there. More spice, more see, more spice, more ethnic spices. Americans love, you know, like I said, where was wasabi? Where was the salsa 30, 40 years ago?
Right. We sell more sauce in America than ketchup. That's uh, that's amazing. And uh, again, to turn to Seinfeld, I think uh, Jerry said that's because people like to say salsa. Uh, David Burke, it is always a treat to talk with you. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, let's chat again soon, and uh, hopefully people will check out the next Dining in the Dark, and uh, we'll be telling them about it. Hopefully I get to go to another one because it was a lot of you fun. You can come anytime. It was great to see you. I hope to see you soon. Thank, Thank you. you. Count on it. Uh, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of midnight straight ahead.